0: What a great privilege it is to be able to, to share the Word of God with you this morning. And I um, want to begin this time with a word of prayer. Father, You're a great God. There's none like You. Your name is to be exalted above the earth. Your glories are to be proclaimed. And Lord, we're thankful that You show mercy to sinners. We're thankful for the grace that has been so freely given to us in Christ Jesus. Lord, we would uh, pray as we break the word this morning that, Lord, you would cause my heart to be humbled before you, that you would uh, take my shortcomings and my, my failures and my inconsistencies. And, Lord, may you bring great glory to yourself through your word that your people might be Encouraged they might be built up in the faith, and Lord, that we might be moved and challenged to to walk in a way that's consistent with the gospel, for it's in Jesus name we pray amen. I was uh, thinking Tom had asked me a couple of weeks ago that uh, that he was going to be out of town and uh, asked me to I think Dave Naylor was originally supposed to preach this morning, but he wasn't able to do that. And so uh, Tom asked me to give some thought to an area that uh, would tie into the Lord's table and uh, take some area. And he said, give fatherly wisdom. Well, <clears throat> we'll try to break the word in such a way that it'll be... a and encouragement to you. As, as we do approach the Lord's table, I, I do want to focus our attention on the riches of, the, uh, of God's grace to His church. And also, in regards to God's riches, I want us to also look at the response of the church to this grace. And it's a grace that's been freely given to us, granted to the church by the mercies of God. And so, our thoughts should be not only directed to the blessings of a great God. But we want to take the, this grace that has been given to us by the, the Father through the work of the Son and empowered by the Spirit. We want to see how we are to incrementally grow as we are be producing and Christ's likeness is being manifested in the life of those who have received this grace And we do want to have Christ's likeness in our actions and our attitudes, but they just don't happen. They just don't happen. (coughs) And we realize that the grace that God gives us is a grace that gives us confidence in His promises. And it's the grace that changes our lives. And I think our text in Ephesians chapter 4 this morning, I want us to, to look at this text in light of the table. The text we've chosen is Ephesians chapter four, verses one through three. As I was looking through some past uh, times of preaching on this text, I think the last time I preached on this text, I think I did a twelve-week series. But I'm not going to do that this morning. We're, we're going to be a little shorter. But if there's so much in this text, so much for the for the church. Ephesians chapter four, verses one through three says, "I therefore." a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling of which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. Now, I've just thrown a little outline in there. I just uh, I had not completed my thoughts and how I was going to approach this text. So this is just basically, the outline you have is just the way that I looked at approaching the text and working through it. So it's not, it's just kind of a little skeleton there for you. So keep that in mind. When we were talking about walking worthy. And Paul says here that we're to walk worthy. And it's impossible to overstate the importance and the scope and the significance of those two words. Because the whole of the Christian life can be summarized by those two words. Walk worthy. He says, live a life worthy of the calling by which you have been called. And that's the message of this passage. And it's also much of the message of the 88 verses that follow in chapters 4 through 6. The first word that we find in our text is of course I Paul I therefore and the word therefore in Ephesians chapter 4 verse 1 indicates a transition it, it refers back to what Paul has taught in the first three chapters and then what follows what has been taught is what the expectations or the direction of the life should be because of what was taught before and we see that the riches of the grace, is, grace of God is the basis for the outworking of the riches in grace living. And this was very typical of Paul in all his epistles. He does this. He, he lays the doctrine, the teaching that is foundational for our faith. And then after he lays that foundation of the teaching, he moves on to duty. Or he moves from principle To practice. He moves from theology to life. If you don't understand theology, you don't like theology, you will not understand Christian living. Because Christian living is not just something that's pulled out of the air. It's based on sound teaching of what God has said and who God is. And so in Paul's epistle, the first part of all his teaching is is this this doctrinal teaching to inform the minds. There in Ephesians 4, I think, 4.17 later, he talks about that, he says, to renew your minds through the teaching of the Word. And Christianity is not just an experience. It's not a mystical feeling. When God works in the life, He lays a foundation to build upon through the truth of His Word for the outworking of our life. And so our minds are to be informed with these great truths of the doctrines of the gospel. And then what follows is the practical teaching, which is designed for direction for living. And so we see here in chapter 4, verse 1, this sets the theme for the whole rest of the book. He says, walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. And that little therefore draws us right back to everything that's been said before. I want to take just a moment here, a time, and I want you to remind you of what we have in Christ Jesus. If you are a Christian, every truth that I mention to you is important. Because every truth that Paul sets forth in the first three chapters are foundational for how to live the Christian life. This is true... Therefore, you are to move in this direction. He writes to the saints who are at Ephesus, those who have been called by God into fellowship with the Son. And as you look through that three chapters, I just want to walk you through these truths. And as we, you hear these, I want you to, in your mind, either you're going to affirm, yes, that's true, or... I don't understand that. I don't know if that's true about me or not. But what he is saying in these first three chapters are true for every believer. He says that we have been blessed in Christ with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places. Do you believe that? That's foundational. These are the riches of God's grace. His surpassing riches and resources to his church, to the saints. And of course, we know the understanding of saints is just one who has been called out. He's set apart. He's one of God's set apart ones or holy ones. We're all saints if you're in Christ. That's no special designation. He says, We're the saints at Ephesus. We're the saints in Raleigh. We're the saints in China. Wherever you are, you're part of that group. He says, We've been blessed with every blessing in Christ. He says, He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless. God did this. God is the one that set us apart in Christ before the foundation of the world that we might be holy and blameless. That's the outworking. that's the purpose of being chosen, that you would be holy and blameless. He says in love he predestined us to the adoption through Jesus Christ. We have become sons and daughters because God has set us aside and adopted us to be his own children. He says He has blessed us in the Beloved. He says that in Him we have redemption through His blood. We have the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of His grace, which He says He abundantly poured on us. Do we understand that? That's our position in Christ. He says He has made known to us the mystery of His will. You say, well, what will has He made known to us? The mystery of His will is that He chose you in Christ. He has adopted you. He has forgiven your sins. He's cleansed you by the blood. He says, also, we've obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of Him who works all things according to the counsel of His will. Do you believe that? We have an inheritance in the future. He also says, when we heard the word of truth, the gospel of our salvation, and believed in him, says, we were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the one that guarantees that inheritance. The Holy Spirit bears witness with our spirit. Yes, we are the children of God. We've heard the gospel message. We have received it. We have received Christ. The Holy Spirit has sealed us. He's given that promise. He said, we had the eyes of our, un, of our hearts enlightened that we might know the hope into which He has called us. Now, this is the truth that Paul is saying. This is true for every believer. He says, we were dead in trespasses and sins, but God, who being rich in mercy, because of the great love which He loved us, He has made us alive in Christ. He says, by grace we have been saved and raised up, and seated with Him in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, and that it's not our own doing, but it is the gift of God. He says, at one time you were separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope without God, but now you've been brought near by the blood of Christ. He says He's abolished the law of commandments and ordinances against us, Talking about the law has, has revealed that we're guilty before God and we deserve judgment. But he says that in Christ, through the cross, we have been reconciled to him. And God, through the cross, has made peace through the work of Christ. We're no longer God's enemy. We've been brought into his family. He says that that judgment is no longer against us. He says we have access to the Father through one Spirit. No longer aliens and strangers, now fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. He says we have now boldness to enter the, with confidence before Him. He says that He's granted that we might be strengthened through the power of the Spirit in our inner man. He says, we have been given strength to comprehend with all the saints the breadth and the height and the length and the depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that we may be filled with the fullness of God. We can know the reality of of who the Father is because of the work of Christ. And then he goes on in the last verse in chapter 3, he says, and now he is able to do far more abundantly than we can ask or think according to the power at work within us. So that's who we are in Christ. Think about that. Think about those riches. And so because of everything that Paul has laid out in those first three chapters that apply to the saints, he says, walk worthy. Live up to what God has given us. He says our identity in Christ dictates our lifestyle. He says our position dictates our life, our practice. You see, in light of God's grace and sovereignty, in light of our own depravity, in light of the gospel by faith alone and not by works, in light of the unity that God has brought Jew and Gentile together into one new man to make a new people, In light of the wisdom and the knowledge and the power of God, walk worthy of the calling to which you have been called. What a great truth. Do we understand those things? As we come to the table this morning... I want you to think about If you can just grasp one or two of those great truths, when you come to the table realizing what God has done on your behalf through the broken body and the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, that's who we are. Paul says, I urge you to walk worthy. And Paul has said, oh, look what God's done. God, when you look at this word urge, sometimes it's used in three different ways in the New Testament. Sometimes it can mean to to ask for help or to beseech or to entreat. Sometimes it means to comfort. But here in this case, the way it's used, it's used that Paul says, I'm exhorting you. It, it, It carries the idea from the original language that it's someone coming alongside and just putting the arm around you and saying, come on, let's walk worthy. Let's walk in the manner in which Christ has called us. Paul is not begging them. He's not pleading with them. He's heartily encouraging them and us because he wants us to walk faithful and fruitful in the Christian life and in the intake and application of the Word of God. You know, here when we see this, Paul is making a pastoral appeal to the reader's will and action. He says, because of everything I've just declared, I'm going to exalt you to walk worthy of the calling with which you have been called. It's interesting that in this text and the way the construction of the Greek grammar is that, that Paul is not commanding them. There are many times in Scripture that there are direct commands but Paul is not commanding them. He's just exhorting them. He's just putting his arm around them and saying, come on, look what God's done for us. This is who you are in Christ. Let's walk worthy. Let's walk worthy. You see, after all that Paul has said, he's making appeal to the readers. And he's making appeal that has more force than a command because he's laid the groundwork of all the blessings and the things in which God has done. And often appeal can carry a stronger emotional dimension than sometimes a command Out of the, for the love of God for what He has done. Let's, let's, walk, let's seek to walk in a worthy manner of the calling by which we have been called. You know, Paul had the authority as an apostle to demand that they walk worthy. He didn't. He wanted to exhort and encourage. Live a life worthy of the calling that you've received. And this is not unusual in Scripture because Paul has done this in many passages of Scripture. There in Philippians chapter 1, verse 27, he says, Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ so that whether I come or whether I'm absent, I may hear that you are standing firm in one spirit, one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. Let your manner of life be worthy of of the gospel. There in Colossians chapter 1, Paul says that since the day I heard of your faith, I have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you might be filled with the knowledge of His will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so that you might walk worthy in a manner, walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. What if every believer was walking in a manner fully pleasing unto the Lord, bearing fruit unto good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. Paul says, I want you to do it, because look look what God has accomplished on your behalf. Look what He's done. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, he says this, For you know how, like a father with his children, we exhorted each one of you and encouraged you And charge you to walk in a manner worthy of God. Who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. Of course the one here who is doing this exhorting is the Apostle Paul. And he says I am a prisoner for the Lord or of the Lord. Some translations have. Paul was literally a prisoner for Christ. For the cause of Christ. He wrote this letter from prison and he's the one turning around to the Ephesians and say come on let's just walk this Christian life let's walk worthy you, you know when Paul is, says this it kind of adds intensity to this exhortation it's like the person that's going through tremendous difficulties and problems and they're turning around and see someone who's struggling in some way and says come on let's walk together worthy and they look well what about your life you're, you're going through it how can you do that, Paul? How can you exalt me to walk worthy? And here you are, under all this pressure, you have every reason in the world not to walk worthy. You know, as Paul was writing this letter, you know he wasn't sitting somewhere in a tent, somewhere on the, somewhere on the Mediterranean, in some comfortable resort. He, he wasn't sitting in his office or at a desk or in a, by the fireplace at home. He was in prison, probably shackled to a wall chained to a guard, he was a prisoner. Of course, this was a part of Paul's life. And he says something about his passions and belief because he knew trouble waited for him at every turn in the road, whether it's a stoning or a shipwreck or an imprisonment. And at this time, more than likely, Paul was in the (coughs) grasp of waiting for execution. When he tells the Ephesians that he is a prisoner, he is reminding them that, he, that what he teaches, he practices. He's no academic looking through the halls of some theological viewpoint. He's a prisoner facing the trials because of these truths. And he's trying to encourage them just to walk worthy. If we have been brought into God's kingdom and a member of his family, does our life reflect that call? Does our life reflect the call by which we have been called? He tells them to to walk. He tells them to walk. This is a word which has been implied, but means just the actual Greek word means somebody just walking around by foot, going from place to place. We understand this in the New Testament con- uh, context to be a person's lifestyle, their behavior, their manner of life, their daily conduct, how we habitually live day by day. Paul says, as you're living day by day in any area that you're living, any area that you're working, whether it's at work, home, wherever it may be, school, wherever you may be, just, just walk worthy. Just walk worthy day to day. And it's interesting in the book of Ephesians that this term walk is used six times. Um, There in Ephesians chapter 2, Paul tells us that we're his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works which God had prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And I think the good works here is maybe not what we think it is because I think the good works that he's talking about, that we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works applies directly back to that passage in Ephesians 1, 5 where he says that you have been chosen by God to be holy and blameless. So he's talking about the aspect of life. That good work is the work that God's doing in your life to, to produce the outworking of the holy and blameless in which you've been chosen to be manifested in your life. In Ephesians 4, he says, I testify in the Lord that you no longer walk as the Gentiles walk in the futility of their minds. So they don't, they don't understand this truth. Those who are without Christ don't understand those great truths of Ephesians 1 through 3. They have no grasp of that. In fact, as I read through that and you heard those things, some, some of you may have said, that doesn't make any sense at all to me. Well, Paul says, don't walk the way the Gentiles walk in the futility of their minds. In Ephesians five, he says, "Walk in love, as Christ loved us and gave Himself for us." In Ephesians five eight, he says, "You were one time darkness; now you're light. Walk as children of the light." In Ephesians five fifteen, he says, "Look carefully, then, how you walk, not unwise, but as wise." And so, walk is a very prominent theme in the in the epistle here of, of Ephesians. And th- but he says, "Walk worthy." You know, we can tell someone, walk worthy. Well, what does that mean to walk worthy? It's interesting that in this sentence, the word worthy is the first word that's placed in the original language, so it puts great emphasis on this word worthy. And it it can be translated suitable. One of the ways it's translated is suitable. He says, I want you to walk in a way that's suitable to the calling which you've been called. You've been called in holiness and righteousness your sins have been forgiven. You have all these riches in Christ. Walk your life in, in light of that. He also says this word, this word is translated sometimes of equal weight. It implies that one's calling and one's life should be balanced. If I'm called over here and my life is way up here out of balance, then it's, it's not worthy. And so, however God has worked in my life and the things that He has taught me in His Word, I need to balance that and to walk worthy. That's what it means to walk worthy. To walk a balanced life in accordance to what we have been, been called. See, we have a high position in Christ. We're a child of God. We're fellow heirs with Christ. We want our practical living to match our spiritual position. And when we come to the table today, that's some thought I want you to give to that. Is your life balanced in who you are in Christ and how you're walking your life? The table is not just a, a, something that we do. It's, it's a time of evaluation. We evaluate our life in light of the Word of God. Now, let's just be honest. Every one of us, if we stood before here and were honest before God, every one of us would say, I'm not walking as I should. I'm not where I need to be. Yes, I'm, I am I have struggle in this, and, and that's okay. But we want to keep that before. Bu- bu- thought before us because we want to focus that we do want to walk in a way based on what God has done and the greater appreciation I have for those great truths will be the greater intensity I desire to walk in a life that matches the high calling that I have in Christ another way to say this is to say uh, uh, walk the talk walk the talk I was just reminded yesterday as you watch some of the football games that there were a lot of players there who were not walking the talk because they had a lot of trash talk especially South Carolina <laughs> and Virginia Tech not NC State they, they, they were fine <laughs> Carolina they were over there with, with uh, Virginia Tech and South Carolina but that's it you know we, we need to we, we talk a lot about our faith we will talk to someone about the Lord and yet our walk sometimes doesn't match the talk He talked about worthy to the life we've been called. Again, we said this calling is not some mystical sense or some mystical destiny. It's not some mystical experience. The call is the call that goes out through the gospel to repent and believe. Trust Christ. Look what He has done. He He has bore your sin upon Himself. And God says, come and trust in Him. Forsake sin. Come to Christ and Respond to the gospel, the word goes out, as Steve mentioned this morning. Faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God, you heard the Word of God, you responded, you responded to that call of God. Actually, the call is actual summons. That gospel message goes out is not just a message, it's a call from God to, to come to him, and the Holy Spirit does a great work in those whom that call effectually works and brings you to Christ. We're called from darkness, called to light, called for a purpose. Much to say about the calling that we have in Christ. It's a high calling. That's what Paul said in Philippians. I press towards the mark of the prize of the high calling in God, in Christ Jesus. Are we pressing towards that mark of the high calling? Paul says, I've not reached that yet. I'm still pressing towards that mark. He encourages us to do the same thing. 2 Timothy one nine says that our, our calling is holy. He says, "Who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works but according to His own purpose and grace, which was given to us in Christ Jesus before the world began. God has a purpose in your being called to him. Your response to the gospel is not just to get you out of, out of hell it 's a call that you 're to walk as Christ walked He has chosen you and placed you in His body as He sees fit, that you might be predestined to walk out in holiness and purity and righteousness. And we know this calling is a heavenly calling because He talks about the holy brethren who have been partakers of a heavenly calling Consider Jesus the Apostle and High Priest of our profession. So wherever we do, whatever we do, we're God's child. Whatever wherever we go, we're his child. Whatever we think, we'd think in light. We're God's child. Whatever we say, we're God's child. Now, he goes on to talk a little about how to, to walk out this walk. In verses two and three, he says with all humility, gentleness, with patience, showing forbearance to one another. In love. And these verses two and three, he gives us four graces of this walk. These are four graces that, that must be cultivi- uh, cultivated and they should characterize our life, especially when we're in dealing with other people. If I'm to live in unity, um, and these four graces are very important, they're the graces that, that guide the believer, humility. Gentleness, patience, forbearing in love. Now, that's not the principles of the world. In fact, that's just the opposite of the principles of the world. Christian unity cannot be produced by following worldly principles. You can't have oneness in a home You can't have oneness in a church. You can't have oneness in a business, for the most part, if you follow worldly principles. You see, the doctrinal truths that are set forth in chapters 1 through 3 speak of a sovereign work of God that gives us no grounds to boast or uplift ourselves before God or before believers or before the world is perishing. Because when we understand Ephesians 1 through 3, we understand that God is the one who has done this, it's not us. And so how do I approach life? What do I have to be exalted about? Nothing. Because God is the one who has worked to accomplish all the things that He has given me, not something I've earned. You know, it's interesting. When you think about these four principles, and I'm not, I don't have time to go into each one, but th- th- think about this. These four principles are foundational for a worthy walk, and this is why. If you go through the rest of the book of Ephesians and you look at all the applications, you'll realize that every one of those applications of, of relationships are dependent upon those four things that work in your life. He talks about a passage that Christians like to use sometimes when, he, when you want to confront someone, you want to speak the truth in love. And, and you realize that in order to speak the truth in love, number one, humility. You have to have gentleness. You have to have patience. And you have to have forbearance and love. You may come to someone and say, you know what, I spoke to them the truth in love and they didn't listen to me. You just realize, number one, you weren't humble, you weren't gentle, you weren't patient, and you weren't forbearing in love. Right? When you talk about the exercise of the spiritual gifts, if you exercise the spiritual gifts without those four truths, it's going to be conflict. If we're trying to deal with our own sin, which Paul talks about there in Ephesians four, the old life, if we don 't approach dealing with sin with humility, gentleness, patience, forbearing, and love we 're going to have a very difficult time. We have a difficult time anyway, but it 's going to be worse let 's make it a little more practical. How about family relationships? Yeah. husband husbands love your wife, wives submit to your husbands now, if each one is not approaching that. With the idea of humility, gentleness, patience and long-suffering and love, it ain't going to work. You may do all the right things, you may say all the right things, but if those four things are not present, it's not going to happen. Think about dealing with your children. If we're not approach that situation and correcting and dealing with our children with humility. Realizing who God is, all that God has done on my behalf. If we don't approach it with gentleness, if we don't approach it with patience, and we don't approach it with forbearance and love, it's going to be very difficult to to have the outworking of those relationships. Paul uses the slave master illustration in here. The master has to have the attitude of humility. Gentleness, patience, forbearing, and love. The slave, same thing, attitude of humility, gentleness, patience, forbearance, and love. That's the only way those relationships will work. You see, these four graces are the heart of the Christian life. The heart of the Christian life. And those four things have to be at work. You you know, it's uh, I think I learned this the hard way in ministry. When I looked at those four areas and I saw, oh, how I fall short so many ways. How many ways have I fallen short of not approaching a situation with true humility and grace? Not approaching a situation with gentleness. Not approaching a situation in... Patience, because I think it needs to be dealt with right now, and surely not just forbearance, forbearing and love. I just say mm, they're off my list. Mm, write them off. You take church discipline. Those four things have to be at work in church discipline to faithfully walk it out. Well, humility, gentleness, patience, forbearing and love. The person under church discipline from a walking a, a godly walk. Or approaching it that way, they approach the situation with the same thing. I have to have humility, I have to have gentleness, I have to have patience, and I also have to forbear and love. So, these principles work all through this relationship. So, if we're going to walk a worthy walk, these are the things that are important. Now, here is the things also important. We can't do those things, <laughs> it, and that's why when you go to Ephesians three twenty, what did it say? That it's God who can do far more abundantly than we can think or ask. It's God's Spirit working in our life that begins to conform us to the image of Christ so that we can walk that out well, not in ourselves, but it's the goodness and grace of God as He works in our life to to be able to, to do those things. I can say, I want to approach this situation with humility, gentleness, patience, and forbearing, and I may try to do it, but I cannot do that in the flesh. I have to come before God and say, God, I can't do those things. You're going to have to work within me to accomplish that. You see, this work, this walk that is worthy of the Lord, worthy of our calling, should be pleasing to Him, but we cannot please God on our own. You know, Hebrews 11:6 says, and without faith it's impossible to please God. So the Christian walk is done by faith, trusting God and following His way, knowing that He will give you the strength to live obediently. That was one of those promises. That Lord I know that you can do this. You can work this. I want you to work it in my life. I cannot do it. You're going to have to work it. Give me grace to walk it out well. And by faith we are to walk in a worthy way. That demonstrates our adoption. Into God's family. And that we're part of his kingdom. Now in what way do we become worthy? Well two things here that we have to look at Paul is either saying that we do something somehow make ourselves observing uh, deserving of this or we make ourselves worth worthy of receiving adoption we make ourselves worthy of participating in the kingdom Uh, so really God has not given us this grace but but somehow we are we're doing this and so therefore God has given us a payment that we can walk worthy no, but Paul is saying this. We walk in a way that's worthy because we want to display the worth of God. It's not what we're doing to earn favor with God, walking worthy. We want to display His worth. I ran across a quote by John Piper. <coughs> he said this. To walk worthy of the Lord means to walk in a way that the Lord is worthy of. <coughs> walk. So as to show what the Lord deserves from us. Not to show what we deserve from the Lord. We walk worthy when the life reflects (coughs) (coughs) the value of what we have received. And as you come to the table this morning, are you walking worthy of the calling which you've received? Do you want to walk worthy? We need God's grace to do that. And only His power can accomplish that. Let's pray. Father, thank you that your word is mighty. Your word is sharper than a two-edged sword. Your, your word can not only give us great comfort, but your word can convict us. Father, I would pray as we come to the table this morning that you would cause each one of us to evaluate our lives in light of the word. Lord, may you give us grace to truly walk out this walk of faith humbly. Lord, may you cause us to give us a spirit of gentleness. Lord, may you allow us to endure. Lord, may you give us grace to forbear in love with one another, seeking to keep the unity of the bond of the spirit of peace. Father, we look to you as we come to the table. May we be mindful mindful of how great you are and the great things that you have done for us, the great spiritual blessings. And yet, Father, may you cause our hearts to be sensitive that we might seek to, to want to walk in a way that pleases and honors you, not because we deserve it, but because you are worthy. In Christ's name, Amen.